This is Writing the Right with Mike and Jeff. Thanks for listening. This week, we've got a lot of things to talk about in our, to quote Rush Limbaugh, stack of stuff. Uh, so just to tease up a couple topics, we're going to get into the DOJ and their uh, assault on American parents. We'll talk about this Southwest Airlines strike that's going on uh, that crippled travel around the United States this weekend. And we'll get into a lot of other topics ranging from COVID uh, to whistleblowers to the debt ceiling. But let's go ahead and jump right into it. Let's start with the, the probably the most current event of current events, Mike, the Southwest Airlines thing. So throughout the weekend, Southwest, Air, Southwest Airlines canceled over 1,800 flights um, ranging from Friday up to this Monday, and then more were canceled Monday morning, uh, with more expected to be canceled for the remainder of this week on Southwest Airlines. At the time, Southwest uh, over the weekend was reporting this as an air, taf- air traffic control and weather issue. Well, all of the traffic, uh, all of the, the flights that were canceled were in areas that had virtually no weather of any kind. Well, those virtually no weather of any kind in the entire United States. That is also true. So, like, you know, there there are instances where in like the New York and New Jersey area, where like a storm will come through and one flight gets canceled, and because they're so packed in together that if one gets canceled, it just throws off everything, gets delays and delays and then cancels. But yeah, it was nice, nice, beautiful weekend for the most part. Yeah. And, and a lot of the flights that were canceled were down in the south. And you're right, in that northeast corridor, one delay or cancellation can back up everything because of the, the relative small amount of runways on those airports. But many of the flights that were canceled were in Florida, were in the southeast. Um, and, Nashville. And, and around uh, the southern United States. So areas that would not be impacted by the northeast corridor. So today, uh, the CEO of... Southwest Airlines finally admitted what many people on Twitter have known all weekend long, which is that this is actually due to a shortage of uh, staff, flight attendants, um, and, and pilots. And there yes. are numerous so, reports. So this isn't, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, this isn't them being fired. They're all calling in sick, similar to what uh, police do. So they can't, because of the union structure, they can't go on strike. So they're like, all right, we're all sick right now. Is what I understand the issue to be. That is so correct. Everything on. everything I've heard is that this is a sick out, um, but it's a coordinated sick out by pilots and flight attendants that are refusing the vaccine mandate. There are also reports that uh, Southwest Airlines, as well as numerous other transportation organizations in the United States, spent this weekend on the phone a lot with Mayor, excuse me, with Mayor Pete. Um, for those of you who don't realize, Mayor Pete's the department uh, is the uh, Secretary of Transportation, uh, and so we spent multiple hours on the phone with him over the weekend, supposedly according to sources, and have been pushing for him to talk to uh, Joe Biden to reverse the vaccine mandate because there's also talks that air traffic controllers, which are the air traffic controllers union, is the strongest public union probably that there is in the federal government. Um, they've already, they, they have fought back a number of measures over the last 20 years to the extent that, um, the air traffic controllers kind of, they, they really run the gamut on everything. They, they, they have free reign ever since really Ronald Reagan. And, and I don't see Biden changing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I got, I got a question for that. Do you mean strong as in, um, most influence or strong as in 
if they go on strike, it has the most consequence? Uh, I mean both in the and, and influence being of of federal workers unions, the air traffic controllers have very rarely had to give up anything that they have fought for as a union. Um, mm-hmm. They because there aren't a lot of people, they can't be replaced, and they do shut down uh, many sectors of the United States economy if the air traffic controllers union were to strike. So they have a lot of power and influence, not necessarily, not necessarily political influence, but uh, many unions, you know, can flex their muscle and then ultimately lose at the end of the day. Historically, Mm -hmm. the air traffic controllers have not. The FAA has very little control over air traffic controllers because of that union. And there are rumors that they are uh, mounting up to make a massive strike. There were rumors over the weekend, um, which I have yet to see confirmed or denied. But there are rumors that in Jacksonville, uh, that that air traffic control area uh, was was a massive sick out as well as the mm-hmm. air traffic controllers in that area uh, effectively striked. In addition, it's to amazing what's with Southwest. Yeah, it's amazing how little information there is on this in the world of information. It's hard to find this. Like you don't, way I know about this is I follow conservative people on Instagram and Twitter, and they're they've been posting screenshots. But there's nothing in the mainstream media. Um, That's correct. Yeah, I haven't even heard anything from Fox. I think the only media source I've seen is from the Daily Wire, and they're they're not they're not mainstream media. Now, mainstream, a hundred percent. That's what I've seen as well. The mainstream media, very uh, at towards the very end of the weekend, started to cover the cancellations from Southwest, but was still still attributing it to weather. Um, And as of this morning. Uh, when last I checked, they were still attributing it to weather delays. And it has mm-hmm. made it into the mainstream media for that. But there's been no talk of the fact that this is a, a massive reaction to vaccine mandates by the airline that we're going to force people to be uh, to be fully vaccinated by November 1st. And so the pilots, many of whom, uh, and I've seen numerous reports from pilots, anonymous pilots that have come out, that you know many airline pilots are former military pilots. Um, a lot of people realize that. And so many of these people... Uh, a, they tend to skew conservative. That doesn't mean they all are, but they skew in that way, just as the United States military does. They also take uh, their freedoms and liberties very seriously. And so mm-hmm. um, as many of these people have stepped up and have started to say they're, they're fighting this fight because they know that if they don't, then the, you know, they have an impact. Look, if truck drivers, if airline pilots go on strike, it cripples the economy. It has very it's, quickly. It's very public. It's very, it's very hard for Biden to hide from this. He can't, he can't fake this out. If, if you and I don't go into work, people don't necessarily notice. If, if thousands of flights are canceled in the course of a few days and that continues to grow and people are, and CEOs are on the phone with uh, the transportation secretary saying, Hey, we need this mandate taken away (laughs) because it's crippling our industry. That's going to, that's going to hurt them because there have been rumors for the last few weeks that, um, you know, uh, numerous people in Congress have been trying to push through Feinstein most recently, trying to push through a vaccine requirement for domestic air travel. Well, yes, that was have. already going to be bad for the airlines. And, and my, my guess that I have said privately is I, I don't see that going anywhere because I think the airline lobbyists will stop it because while they may publicly say they're in support of vaccines and while they may mandate it of their employees right now, a, they're seeing the consequences of that action and B at the end of the day, Companies do one thing. They want to protect the bottom line. And if you start crippling, if you start ending people's ability to fly, well, nobody's buying plane tickets. And, and airlines are already having trouble getting 
uh, getting revenue back from what they lost in 2020. They're still oh, yeah, back to the level of flights they were pre-COVID. So you add more requirements on them, they're going to fight it. And now with this, um, it, it's this is by far the best way this could play out for the American people because it's so public and it is so in the face of the administration. Biden is going to have to address this very soon as more details come out. There's no way you can hide from it. I, I disagree because he's avoided he's he's avoided a lot of crises crises in the, in this administration so far. So, well, that's he, a fair he, point. He, so I, I think he can he'll still ignore it. Um, but going to your point about the airlines and, and how powerful they are, um, you're right. If if you and I decide the the boycott, I mean at least for me, you won't notice. I'm working on stuff from on model year 26. So you have what I what I'm doing today is, is for the future and i'm sure you're in your position you're doing the current work in the future but um you know or even if you look at um the uaw um people aren't buying cars that frequently so like i won't notice if i can't buy a car because i'm you know people buy cars what every three four or five years actually i think they average every car is seven years now but you no know, people fly most of the time of the year so if Delta were to uh, go on strike, if it wasn't COVID, I would have noticed in a few days because I'm always booking flights to go somewhere to visit some customer or even just go on like a, a family vacation. So I think the airlines, uh, I think trucking is another one, trains. So Southwest has done this. American Airlines uh, is supposedly looking at, or there's rumors that it's going to start with American Airlines. Now I've even heard rumors about Amtrak. Amtrak so gonna... actually was canceling some trains early over the weekend, much more downplayed, much less talked about because I don't think many people pay as much attention to consumer train travel in the United States as we do um, air travel. There's I've, I've never taken an Amtrak <laughs> trip in my life. And I think that applies uh, to most Americans, Chicago. but it does happen. I trip to Chicago. Okay. Like you're right. Okay. So I've taken Amtrak once. Actually, I, I, I half took that trip because I missed my uh, my train on the way there and I had to fly. <laughs> Funny I enough. recall that, yes. So I, I think the Amtrak thing got downplayed because not like, but where trains becomes important is a large amount of goods in the United States are still shipped via rail car. That's yes, what's are. important. It's not as that's look, airlines affects the movement of people more than anything. Goods do go by the air. Obviously, we know that, but. The, what we're seeing from Southwest and, and we may see expand is affecting consumer travel. What you see on, on railroads primarily is going to be a supply chain disruption because that's where a lot of goods are shipped. Same mm -hmm. with trucking. Trucking isn't yeah. going to shut down people moving, but it's going to shut down grocery stores having things on the shelves. Or it's more likely going to impact their Amazon. That's what they'll notice first. I can't do two-day shipping? It's back to five to seven business days. What are we in the 1990s? That is actually as as much as you may have said that tongue in cheek. That is where a lot, I think a lot of people will notice that you're right. Mm -hmm. Everybody's gotten so used to. I mean, I get same day, next day, all that stuff, and and yeah, uh, or, I've or at, at like 11 pushback by Amazon. Yeah, like yeah. So our we had issue with uh, buying formula. Like they pushed it back and like oh, we're just going to cancel this. I had to get it from different uh, different different store. But they do that on one end, and on the other end, if I buy something at, at 11 p.m., they can be on my doorstep by like 5 a.m. So Amazon is a is very interesting company.
in the in the range of of, of shipping uh, capability. Yeah, and the things they ship quickest are the things you need the least. But yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, this airline and and I have heard I have an American Airlines flight coming up next week. Actually, um, I'm supposed to fly somewhere Do on you? Wednesday, and I'm supposed to come back on Monday. We will see if that happens, um, because to your point, with all these airline with all the airline travel delays, this could become a, a large problem. And however, I am on the side of what the pilots are doing, and if it impacts my travel, I'll be slightly irritated because it'll affect my my day-to-day life, but it's also a, something I will happily accept for the con- the result that they're trying to get. So I'm fully in support of what Southwest is doing and or rather the pilots of Southwest well. and, and hope to see more people do this because you're, I, I, I will take back what I said. I agree with you. Joe Biden can avoid and hide from this. I think the more what I mean by that to clarify is while they may choose not to address it and they may blow it off with Jen Psaki saying it's not a big deal, um, the American people will not let this, will not forget about this, and we will be aware of it. This is something that is too big for them to pretend. They can pretend it's not happening, but that won't work. It's not going to deflect the American people from knowing it's going on. Oh, definitely. I mean, and uh, kind of going back about the trucking industry, if you cancel some food, any particular type of food, like I was on Facebook and I saw a lot of parents angry that. They couldn't get juice boxes. So it doesn't have to be the entire grocery store. Like they can just take, pick one specific thing that people need uh, or buy on a daily or weekly basis. So like that bread, I don't know, take avocados to get the, the, the millennials to freak out. You like, you don't have to shut down this in, the entire grocery store for people to freak out. And if Biden does uh, avoid this, I mean, you'll see it in his um, approval, disapproval ratings. Yeah, which are already in the tank, and 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 you're right. You, you know, Jen Psaki, even most recent, as recently as this weekend, said once again, "Well, that's due to the unvaccinated. People are unhappy that there are so many unvaccinated left." No, it's very clearly not that because the number continues to rise, even as you implement more and more of these mandates. And as you like, people can, the administration can lie to the people who are willing to accept the lie about Afghanistan and about many things because it's not in your face and it's not affecting your day-to-day life. So mm-hmm. you can choose to believe, oh, Afghanistan's under control now. It's it's not, and you're naive if you believe that, but there are a lot of people in this country who have already forgotten about what happened in Afghanistan because, oh, that was a month ago. It doesn't matter. Or to quote Joe Biden, that was, that was three, four days ago, man. It was, you know, it's, it's much different with airline travel because it's actually going to impact people on a day to day. Like they're going to cancel vacations, cancel family trips and, and cancel business trips. That's something that starts to affect people's actual daily daily lives. And they're going to notice it. The next thing that you could do, if I'll tell you what would fire up the American people real quick, take out Netflix. (laughs) Yes. We, that, then honestly, it would be the government, little, the little riots. The government has done everything they can for the last 30 years to pacify the American people because it's a proven fact about humanity that if you give them something to be distracted and feel safe and comfortable, that they will not rise up against you. So we've got Netflix. You can order food from your house. You know, you can get DoorDash and you can order things on Amazon. Your life doesn't seem to change. So who cares what's going on in the outside world? As those things start to go away, people will start to wake up. Mm-hmm. Very much so. But I think Netflix is uh, on the liberal side, so I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I, I don't think so. Not unless it got hacked. But 
that that's neither here nor there. Yeah. You know, talking about internet and, uh, you know, things on the liberal side, there's obviously in the last week we had the Facebook whistleblower that was all over the news. Right. And, <laughs> and Facebook, one of the most liberal companies in America, very clearly on the side of the Democrat political machine. If you look at what the, how they acted in the 2020 election, how they act today. And then you have a whistleblower coming out and people getting fired up and excited, like, oh, they're going to expose Facebook. And I'm going to say right now, this is the most obvious American government psyop I have ever seen in my lifetime. There is nobody, there's no way you can convince me this isn't a plant. And that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but everything. Not really. I mean, if you you actually watched it, it doesn't sound like a conspiracy theory at all. I watched probably like an hour of the actual um, hearing. So I, I, I watched I, quite a bit of it, and and yeah, it's it's just so obvious. And look, first of all, I, well, if- well, I, I would say half of it is. So the half when she's talking about um, like how Facebook is like targeting kids and things like that, I think that's pretty uh, apolitical. I think well, it's, so. I agree, but here's where I where I tweak that slightly is, I think to make it to run an effective psyop, right? You have to do things that make the plant seem real. And so to do that, you have to also say things that even people against you will be like, well, that's obvious. She's right. Mm -hmm. And and you're right. That stuff sounds apolitical and sounds true because I think we all recognize that it is. So you have Mm -hmm. to add that in there so that you can get to your actual agenda, which ultimately came down to two things. There should be censorship on Facebook and there should be a regulatory agency that manages the posts that are posted on Facebook, which is what we have heard the government trying to do for over a year. They want Mm -hmm. to regulate and and censor social media so that they can control the message. And that's what the ultimate play is here. All the stuff about kids and targeting and, and trying to drum up more clicks by things that make you angry. That's all obvious. And so it plays into, I 100% agree with you, that stuff is true, but it's all because if you just come out and only say the other thing, it raises too many red flags to people. So you got to embed it in there as like, well, this is all the stuff going on, but here's, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. Here's a solution. Let's have a regulatory agency that people like me can go and work in to monitor what things are on Facebook. Yeah, that's the funny part. She said like, yeah, I I need to work there. I need to do it. Yeah, that was, sure that, that, was, that, that was a ridiculous thing just from like, that seems like she went off script there and like was trying to get her next job. <laughs> um, and, but, but this is, this is a, and, and again, if you're a listener and you're thinking, wow, these guys sound a little conspiratorial, uh, conspiracy theorists, you know, I will remind you that almost everything someone said in 2020 sounded like a conspiracy theory uh, has come true in 2021. Uh, whether I, that was I, vaccine I'll... passports, vaccine mandates, um, Yes, I also want to point out that Jeff and I are, are rarely wrong because we don't listen to the mainstream media. Uh, we either, one, go watch the Senate hearings and actually get information ourselves, or we go and process the data ourselves. Like, this is our own information that we pull from the government sites. It's not like we're going to conspiracy.com. It's like, oh, here you go. Here's the answer. It's like, I mean, maybe you're not. <laughs> I'm an That's admin fair. on conspiracy.com. I wonder if I bet there is a conspiracy.com. Now I'm gonna have to go look. Uh that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um so you made me forget what I was saying. Yes. So anyway, uh when I my beliefs on COVID and the vaccinations and things like that come from data that I take from cdc.gov. Jeff's and I's opinion on 
this being a psyop is because we watched this the Santa hearing. So I think it was only what two hours long, and I watched an hour of it. I'm not sure how much you watched. I watched all of I wa- it. Okay, so I, I watched the the first round of questions. Was there a second round um, after the break? Yeah, a short one, but it was primarily if you watched the beginning, you probably heard mo- it got to the point where it was a lot of repeated information. Well, that's that's why Senate hearings suck because it's the Democrats asking the same questions over again and, and the Republicans asking the same questions over again. They're not being like independent thinkers like, all right, this is what my constituents want to know. Well, and, well, and they're not building on each other either. They're like, I wrote down my questions and Mike already asked this question and I heard it, but, but I wrote down this question. So I will ask this question. Yes. I'm going to ask it. So then I can take this clip of me asking the question for my re- reelection campaign. That is exactly right. So yeah, you, you pretty much heard everything, but yeah, the Facebook whistleblower is something that should really concern people because we've been talking for the better part of a year about how America, how the government wants to censor social media to control the mm-hmm. message. We saw it with the Hunter Biden story. We've seen it with numerous things going on over the last year. And now we have someone actually coming out and claiming whistleblower status so that they can be protected and saying, well, Facebook is so corrupt. You know, the only way to fix that is censorship. Like, wait, that's the message you take away from what's going on? That, that Facebook corruptly censoring things during an election campaign, the correct solution is censorship? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. She did so, say something about getting rid of the algorithm and going back to like a, a time base, which is what Facebook used to be. Yeah, and and look, and so again, that's something she agree, that, yeah, I agree I with like half of what she says. Yeah. I agree with half of what she says. Yeah, I have no or problem. Even even eighty percent, it's just that twenty percent is just so crazy. Like, nah, if it's either all of this or none of it, I rather do none of it because that twenty percent is so dangerous. And that's ex- exactly the the twenty percent that comes in with all the other stuff. All the stuff they throw in there is the stuff that they really want, and it's the stuff that can do the most damage to the nation. You know, frankly. I think the real solution to Facebook and Twitter and all is shut down. Social media is a cancer in society. And I'm not going to go off on my diatribe about that. But if you look at the thing, we've given tech so much power in our lives and we've, whether that's, whether that's, if you think about the way they manipulate politics or you just think about on a more personal level, you deal with, you look at, look, I, I have been a big time skeptic of the whole cyber bullying thing for a long time, because I'm a big believer that, you know, like I wasn't really bullied as a kid. I wasn't a bully as a kid, but I do know that kids are kids. And like part of what makes you grow up to be stronger is dealing with that adversity. And I've been a big time skeptic when people say, well, like cyber bullying is so bad. But on the flip side of that, I've also started to come to a realization that the one key difference is that, you can't escape it. Like you get bullied at school, yeah. you come home and it ends for the day. You get bullied online and it come home and you can keep seeing it, which is why I really think it's bad to let kids spend that much time and, and put that much focus on their web presence. They're, they're kind of their Facebook brand, right? Because mm-hmm. if the more you care about what people are saying about you online, the more, vi- more open you become to that victimology. And it's, it's very bad well, yeah. for society. So no, definitely. I mean, because the whistleblower was talking about how it increased the rate of um, depression or or girls thinking about suicide or um, uh, body dysmorphia, not being pleased with their body. So yeah, I think it's dangerous for people who have undeveloped minds, which is what kids and teenagers are, to be constantly being fed things like that. 
I think it's yeah, dangerous. I, I, I think it's dangerous I, beyond that. I think it's dangerous for everyone because like they've they've done studies that you know the getting likes on your posts or get you know getting retweeted things like that they trigger the same type of um, response in your dopamine response in your brain and in your addiction centers that drugs do and it becomes a drug for people it pacifies people because you're you're getting that same high you're getting that same release of like oh somebody retweeted me on the internet even though i've never heard of them and i you know it doesn't matter <laughs> i said something really stupid um, it's, it's definitely detrimental to a kid. I agree with you, but I think it's actually bad even as an adult because it plays on, frankly, the stupidity of humans. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I tend to post like funny stuff or baking stuff. Um, just to see like how many likes I get versus when I post something political, I was like, all right, I know you guys saw this because you just saw my other uh, quote about my my wife bullying me into making pumpkin bread. Well, and the got... algorithm definitely played up your political posts because they probably figured you'd piss people off. Yeah. I, I, this is funny because I noticed having been pretty consistent and people have slowly stopped talking or stopped responding because every time they deal like, nope, here's five Argos that show why I'm right. Have a good day. Well, here are facts. <laughs> people don't like being confronted with facts, Mike. It's, I understand that, but like, if you want to hop on my post, then don't get nope. mad when you get nope. your feelings hurt. Facts are uh, are <laughs> evil, Mike. Ah, I see. Excuse me. So, excuse me, excuse like me. I, said, I mean, that's all I really have to say on the Facebook thing. But I just want to caution everyone out there: if you, two things. One, the Facebook whistleblower specifically, you should be aware of how dangerous uh, what this person's saying is. Number two is. Be aware of the fact that the government does and that big tech is working these psyops together where they are actively playing and manipulating the American people by trying to act like something organically is happening that they are clearly creating. So watch with a little more critical eye and pay a little deeper attention and listen to the message and see how it aligns with the the broader message that politicians and tech oligarchs are saying. And if they, if there seems to be a lot of alignment there, step back and just consider that. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. And I would just ask that try to do your own research. There's, there's a lot of information out there and if you can verify uh, what you're seeing, before you take it as a gospel. So, Mike, I wanted to talk about, I teased this up at the beginning of the show, and I wanted to talk about the really dangerous and, and frankly frightening precedent that the United States government is setting right now with Merrick Garland, the uh, AG, uh, has sent out a memo telling the FBI to investigate parents that attend school board meetings in dispute of critical race theory as domestic as potential domestic terrorists. So first of all, you've essentially eliminated the meaning of the word domestic terrorist. You've watered it down so much that now you are saying that a soccer mom that cares what Johnny is taught in school is the same thing as Timothy McVeigh, because that is the literal definition of domestic terrorism, right? The Oklahoma City bombing or any number of other circumstances we can bring up. So you're equating Jane Doe, who wants to, wants to make sure her school is teaching that America isn't evil, is the same as Timothy McVeigh, who blew up a building and killed people. That you, you first of all watered down what domestic terrorism is to the mm -hmm. point where no one can now take that term seriously. It means nothing to me. 
If you tell me any group is a domestic terrorist, I now will no longer take it seriously because if that's your definition of it, then everything is everything you disagree with is terrorism. Number two, it is a massive, massive betrayal of the American people and their trust that the, that you are now weaponizing the Federal Bureau of Investigation against parents for you for acting upon their their rights to talk to the school boards in their in their communities about what their children are being taught. Yeah, it's it's crazy because they'll do they'll do that and they'll focus on the January 8th riots, but those sixth, sorry, January 6th um, riots, but then they'll skip over all of the summer riots for protesting George Floyd. Um, so I, I just don't it. I mean, obviously, it's just politically motivated. So it's whatever, and it, it was weird to me is was was happening even when Trump was in office. Like the fact that they were skipping over George Floyd protests, even with Trump in office. So I'm not sh- sure what's going on, but I mean, it's also the Russian hoax. So the FBI has clearly become, went from apolitical to this left-leaning. Yeah, I think that, look, again, uh, we're... The more we talk, the more I think that, look, Alex Jones from InfoWars, I used to think was a complete lunatic, but he keeps being right. And, so, and now yeah. I feel like we, <laughs> I, the more I, the more things that happen, the more I'm like, man, are we going to become that? Because it's it's hard not to look at the world and see it the way he's pointing things out. Now, that doesn't mean everything. The guy's a lunatic about some things, but he's also very yeah. accurate a lot of time. Well, what's crazy is I thought he was crazy. And then I think I watched... Um, uh, some like comedy podcast, and they had him on, and he was like going through all. Oh, these he was facts. with Joe Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, I didn't watch him on Joe Rogan. I he, there's a just comedian named Andrew Schultz that has a podcast, okay. so I watched him on that. I was like, he's energetic, but he's not that crazy. No, and if you go back and look at a lot of the things he said were happening, like he said, "Oh, the government's harvesting fetal uh, fetal organs from." Uh, you know, aborted babies. And everybody's like, you're a nutcase. Well, we've now proven that's actually happening. Uh, you like almost everything he claimed <laughs> that everyone was like, Oh, you're just a psycho. It's like, Oh, that, that really is happening. Like yeah. you were, you were completely right. Um, so anyway, like, yeah, but yeah, I, I was just saying like, um, I watched like 10, 15 minutes of his actual show. And like, if you look at his desk, it's just covered in like papers and like news, art- like uh, news articles and, and studies like he's not just like taking this off the top of his head he's actually doing research yeah so i was I, actually i was actually surprised about that i thought it was just two hours of him like ranting i just assume i just always thought that like the stuff you're quoting sounds like it's coming from like it sounds like you're reading the tabloids like men in black like right <laughs> but again he like he's clearly more tuned in than i thought so my point here is this is we might start to sound like that because we're paying the same attention but the the pro- the other problem with the FBI, like you pointed out, is this was going on under Trump. It's going. The FBI has clearly become weaponized by the by the political left. The this idea of the deep state that so many people throw out and just dispute. At, well, the deep state's not a thing. That's that was Trump fake news. Blah 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 blah. No, the deep state is a real thing. We've created a bureaucratic state in the United States where po- politically affect elected officials really don't hold the power. It's their advisors and the quote unquote experts within the government. Because even Congress people, while while we throw a lot of the blame on them, in reality, most of those people don't even read the bills they're voting on. They don't write the bills they they don't write the bills they're submitting. 
they're letting their they're letting their advisors do it and their teams and 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 experts that they're consulting with. So at I mean, the time, even if they quote they authored a bill, they don't even know what's in the bill. Yeah, I mean, there's bills that are nine thousand pages long. Like you're not reading that nine thousand pages long. Like all right, here's a few hours. Go read it and then go vote on it. No one knows what's in those. No, exactly. And and so like when when you look at it. There has to be a deep state because the people who are actually running the government are the bureaucrats that are writing all this stuff for the Congress people to stamp their name on and then vote on in, in Congress because right. they because the, they're the ones who actually are putting in the stuff. They're putting in the, oh, the IRS is going to be able to look at every $600 transaction. By the way, massive overreach we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, they're the ones putting that in. The people in Congress that are voting on this and writing these bills, nine times out of ten, probably don't have a clue. Oh, and no. that's not that's not to say that they're they're um, above, you know, that they shouldn't get the criticism for it and defend them because they should, because you're elected yeah, to do that job. It's, your, well, it's, it's their fault because they're voting on it. Yeah, you're elected to do that job. So you have every responsibility to know that. But it's a point that, you know, the FBI, the IRS under Barack, Barack Obama going after conservative organizations, like the deep state is a real thing. And it's it's frightening because it means you can't trust federal agencies to do their job. The Federal Bureau of Investigation should be completely apolitical and should be working to take down real crim real criminals and, and deal with real terror plots and things like that. And instead, they're devoting their time to focusing on uh, domestic terrorism at school boards, which is not domestic terrorism. They're devoting their time to focusing on um, drumming up a plot to to kidnap a governor of a, of a state in the United States so that they can essentially entrap people into doing it. They are, they, yeah. it's now. They, was, they wasn't it in that group? There was like more FBI agents. There were like civilians. Correct. Right? And most of the plan from what has been reported was developed by the FBI and just, they got other people to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, then that's also, not, that's not what it, when it, when it first happened, you and I even both criticized the, the circumstance at the time, but then mm -hmm. a year removed from it, we look at it like, that's not at all what was said. No, it like happened. the FBI found three crazy people. I'm like, all right, let's let's attack Whitmore. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Since you guys, since you guys made the plan, I'll just go along with it. Yeah, it's it's not remotely what what it was drummed up to be. Just like, by the way, January sixth, the insurrection. Which, if I have to hear that word one more time, I might my head might explode. <laughs> but the whole January sixth thing, which was first of all, I said at the time, not that big of a deal. It was yes, a few we, we people did. storming a capital that we freaking own, by the way, and and so so largely nonviolent. Yes, so Jeff, did you know that those doors are actually magnetically um, locked, and no human can open those doors? They have to be unlocked by the security office. Fun fact: I did, I did know that, <laughs> and because <laughs> that's one of the things that has come out recently, and and it makes sense, right? Because we've all been in. I've worked in plenty of buildings that use those type of locks, and I'm sure you have. Yeah. And it makes total sense. The Capitol building would use that. Um, you know, they also we also have now seen that the FBI was deeply integrated into the January sixth situation. There were many of those people that were drumming up the crowd to storm the Capitol. So. Is, is the FBI actually a Bureau of Investigation or is it a Bureau of Entrapment at this point? Yeah. I mean, you can even think about uh, like when there's like like the school shooters and the parents or counselors come out like, yeah, we reported this to the police and the FBI and they didn't do anything. So like you get actual information where people are like, yes, I think my son is going to do something crazy. 
I'm like, ah, we'll get to it. Even the the bomber in Nashville, they knew about him a year ago. They went to his house. He wasn't there. Like, all right, we're done. Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring. It's funny you bring that up because I was going to bring up another one. We, what was it? Two weeks ago, we saw Michaela Maroney oh on the at the Senate doing a hearing, talking about her in vivid detail testifying to the FBI about Larry Nassar's yeah. abuse. Like and I they had did to turn nothing it off. for a year and a half. I had to turn it off. Now that I had a daughter, like that was just putting me into a giant rage. So I couldn't listen to it. I listened to like maybe a minute of her testimony and like, I'm done. Yeah. It, it's, it's horrifying. I listened to the whole thing, but it's horrifying. And the, the FBI did nothing about that for a year and a half. And then when they did do something about it, they lied about her statement. So the FBI doesn't protect the American people from actual criminals. Doesn't protect the most, the most vulnerable of the American people, children, and they do, however, have the time to go and drum up faulty, drum up false, uh, you know, kidnapping plans against governors. They do have time to go and investigate school board meetings. Mm-hmm. The, so uh, I have no NASCAR, faith in the FBI anymore. The NASCAR news. Oh yeah, you, the, the, the the rope that had been there over a year and was being used to pull down a garage door. Yes. Yeah, the FBI spends time on all of these things but doesn't spend time on, you're right, on the Nashville bomber. They don't spend time on um, the Sandy Hook shooting. They, they had warnings about, uh, they had warnings, of, they've had warnings about numerous other school shootings. They have, they had Larry Nasser was, was multiple times accused by, Michaela Maroney is not the only one who came forward. Yeah. Also, uh, she's uh, Simone, just one of the most well-known. Yeah. And, Simone was also another one. And, and they did nothing about that. Oh, and by the way, the largest mass shooting in American history, the shooting in Las Vegas, that n- they never, they closed the case on that officially. There's never been a motive released, never been any details released about how a man got into the MG, into uh, the, the Mandalay Bay Hotel with yeah, tons Bay. of guns and opened fire on a CMA festival or, or whatever concert it was. And- mm-hmm that they've never they've never investigated that now i personally believe that's because that that had something to do with being a uh cia gun gun sale gone bad i I think there's some i i do think the government was involved there and again sounds like a conspiracy theory but there are a lot of things that point to that the government for that i mean it died in the press within days i mean there's there's also there's like operation um fast and furious yeah they were doing gun sales and someone dies like "Eh, we're not going to mention the guns were bought from the government yeah these these things just die on the vine so it the fbi is clearly politicized at this point and it's it's hard to not think that the deep state is very very real and the only way to fix it would be to eradicate federal workers like wipe them out good or bad you work for the federal government you're gone and we need to rebuild the federal government from scratch now i i can't see that ever happening but i don't know how else no. you fix it because whether you change who's in the white house or you change who's on the bench where you change who's in Congress, you're fundamentally not changing who sits in those seats. Yeah, very true. They're just going to yeah. Buy I can't think of any time. other way, any other way of doing it, unless you get some like hardcore libertarian or conservative at the top of the FBI, and he just starts weeding people out <laughs> from day one. Yeah, that's and, the only thing I can think and of. That's going to be hard to do, and and it's deeper than just the FBI because we also we have also got evidence that happens at the IRS. I'm sure mm-hmm. the CIA has been compromised. Like, you'd have to get look at every government agency from top to bottom. The, 
uh, Department of Homeland, Homeland Security, um, everything would have to be weeded out. And you have to figure out who is really there to do their job and who is there to uh, push forward their agenda. And then when a president or Congress is in power that isn't in alignment with that agenda, they fly under the radar just enough to plant the seeds to make it so they can progress their agenda in the dark. Mm -hmm. All very true. For more information, go to conspiracytheory.com, conspiracytheory.com. I, I now I have to go look and see if it's real. I don't know if you do. I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure it probably is. Yeah, but to your point, um, you were talking about how like the advisors or the RNC or DNC like write the bills. Mm -hmm. Last or this this past summer, I was looking up bills on banning critical race theory, and I looked at bills from probably like ten different states. They read almost exactly the same, like yeah. like word for word. This huge chunk is just copied and pasted into the other chunk. So I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and also, by the way, those critical race theory bills are fantastic, in my opinion. They are. They just need to be more widespread. But yeah, I mean, but yeah. you're right. Like they're, they're, written by, they're written by committees of people who are, okay, my congressman lost and he's been replaced, but I'm still in this seat. And the next guy who comes around, I'll be his advisor too. Exactly. They're the ones who have all the actual power. Nancy Pelosi, you think Nancy Pelosi in her infinite, the woman sounds like she's drunk 24-7 when she speaks. Good Joe morning. Biden has lost his mind. Sunday Nancy morning. Pelosi, if, if you listen to Nancy Pelosi speak, she genuinely sounds drunk. She slurs mm -hmm. her words. She is giggly. And it's like she's not, she's, she's not correctly there. Um, if you think I mean, that could be woman drunk. is actually running the, running the House of Representatives, you're a fool. She is clearly just the face. Not a nice face to look at, but yes, she has a face. <laughs> she's she's kind of the face of like the Crypt Keeper, but a face nonetheless. <laughs> that was actually what I was thinking about. I mean, honestly, the Crypt Keeper does share a lot of similarities to Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. Aside from charisma, the Crypt Keeper is highly charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> And I would go to Mitch, war for the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and Mitch McConnell shares a lot of a lot with uh, Franklin the Turtle, and I would go to war for Franklin the Turtle any day. <laughs> he's just a, he's just a great person. <laughs> Man, Mitch McConnell does look like a turtle. He really he genuinely does. All right, so next up on our stack of stuff, Mike, I've, we've been talking about this off and on for a few weeks now, on the show and off, Australia. And the extremely quick decline into total and utter fascism in Australia. Now, um, this is what you mean to say is this is what happens when half the nation doesn't have guns. This is what happens. Yeah, this is what happens when you allow the government to disarm you. Yeah. When, great when you old, good old America. Well, there's more guns than people. Love it here. Yeah, and hopefully uh, everyone who the good thing is most Americans that own guns understand the value of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I've been talking to my wife, and she's agreed that we can get guns, plural, and I'm so happy. That is very good, and I have <laughs> plenty of recommendations if you want to talk. Yeah, it's it was probably kind of my fault. So I kept saying I want to sleep with a gun underneath my pillow, like James Bond. So I probably delayed us. <laughs> getting guns by a little bit 
but now that I decided to get rid of that that dream, we can get guns. I do sleep with the gun in my bedside table. Yeah, I want it under my pillow. And she said, "Yeah, I don't have that, but I do have. I have numerous biometric safes in my house, all with guns in different in various rooms." Makes sense. I mean, I don't. I I would if I hadn't lost all of my guns in tragic boating accidents. I like to clean Terrible. my guns when they're wet from the spray of the lake uh, at in the dark, so they end up oftentimes being dropped in lakes, which is Makes sense. a lot of wasted money, but it is yeah. what it is. Yes, Jeff does actually like to use uh, fishing rods when he when he hunts for fish. He just fires randomly into the lake until something pops up. Yeah, I just wait to see if something floats to the top. And if he wants out of, out of ammo, then he just throws a gun. If dynamite were more accessible, I'd fish with dynamite. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, so Australia genuinely has fallen into what real fascism is. Um, yeah. We are seeing people being tackled by the police, being arrested for... Uh, most recently, I saw someone being arrested for uh, walking more than 500 meters away from their home to have a cigarette. Uh, yep. I've seen I've people, seen people being, uh, arrested for having a picnic. Yep. I've seen people being interrogated by the police for Facebook posts um, that were in support of protests that they yeah. may or may not have even attended. So I'm not even sure when you saw it, but I, the one I saw about that is like the police actually went to her house, questioned her about the Facebook post, then handcuffed her and took her away. I've seen that. And there is another one I saw last night where the guy kept saying where it was, they were speaking to a guy and he kept saying, so why are you here? And she said, what part of what I told you about why we're here? Do you not understand? He said, you're asking me about a Facebook post from six months ago. Why are you here? Why? Are you? And he, he essentially told them, they were like, so were you at this protester? And I was like, I don't recall. And they're like, well, then I guess we can't do anything. He's like, I don't recall. Now go away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but it's it, they, they really are. They, it has become Orwellian in what's going on in Australia. And aside from just the fact that it's it's horrific, I think it's also something that we in America really need to be cautious of because we Americans are really guilty of and I'm guilty of this oftentimes saying well, that can't happen here and because oh we've got guns or because of this and because of that. And we do have guns. It will be harder to implement that in the United States, but it's not impossible because we're seeing, I've seen police officers on film in Australia, literally saying the words, we don't want to do this. We're just following orders. I don't know how anyone who's grown up in Western society post-World War II can say the words, we're just following orders and not feel like an idiot because or you not know feel like a Nazi that connotation. You know not what that Nazi. means. Nazi. You know what you're doing, but what you're admitting by doing that. Yeah. And so is, that, if, is that from like the, the Nuremberg tiles? Is that what that, that was coined from? Uh, it it might have been from the Nuremberg trials. I'd, I yeah. honestly, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said off the top of my head, I could remember which uh, general said that and when. But, um, you know, we all know the connotation of it. And, and mm -hmm. frankly, you know, we you see memes all the time that say, if you didn't know how you would have handled 1930s Germany, you do now. And that it's the problem is that's true. If you're a police officer who believes that because you have a gun and a badge, that you have the right to subjugate entire groups of people for doing things that are purely completely lawful and within their personal liberties so that they have no rights because you're in charge and you're and the person in charge of you has given you that order you would have followed every order in Nazi Germany because that's what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. 
And I think Americans need to be cautious of the fact that while it may be harder to implement that here than it was in Australia, because Australia allowed themselves to be disarmed in the 90s and is now paying the consequence, the reality is there are still a large group of people in this country that want to see America disarmed. And while it may not, that means we may not be six months from this, it doesn't, it means we're not that far from it. We're not that different culturally from Australia. In fact, prior to COVID, I would have probably said the two countries on earth that were culturally most similar to America were Great Britain and Australia because they are, they are very similar to the, the United States in their cultural makeup, in the, uh, the structure of their government, and we're seeing it happen. We even saw it happen to a smaller degree in Britain. It's been pulled back, but six, seven months ago, we were seeing police literally kick down doors in England to interrogate people for being accused of violating COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, we have the uh, pastor in, in Canada that was arrested not too long ago. So it's happening everywhere. And so I, I get what you're saying, but I think what's going to happen is the blue states are going to get worse. And I think the red states are going to, I think, balance balance them out and just keep shifting further and further. And that's why you're seeing a lot of states going to constitutional carry. It's like, oh, you think we, we need to um, take guns away? It's like, all right, you can have guns the way you were meant to have guns. You want one, go buy one, put it on your, on your waist, go about your day. I think that you're, I think that you're right, and I hope that you're right. I just, again, I, I want to caution all our listeners to be wary of that. And there, there comes a time in any nation where you have to be willing to stand up and say enough is enough. That time never came in Germany. And that's what led to the Holocaust. That time doesn't seem to have come in Australia. And we're now seeing quarantine camps where people aren't allowed to see their families. We're seeing uh, a lot of liberties just eroded in, immediately. And they can still come back from that. But the question is, will they? So the, the caution I would say in the United States is when that time comes, we have to be willing to stand up and say no. Because otherwise we will very quickly be like Australia. It's, it's not, we look at things happening in China and say that can't happen in the U.S. China is not the U.S. Well, and that's true. Australia, though, is very different. When something can happen in Australia or in the U.K., that doesn't mean it's instantly able to happen here because we are different, but it does mean it's capable of happening because they share a yeah. lot of our cultural ideals. It means like if it can happen to a, a Western country, we'll stop it from happening to another Western country. That's, I think that's what you're just trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we oftentimes look at everybody else and say, you know, like I said, China is a great example. Well, what happens in Russia or China can't happen here. They're culturally different. And that's probably true. But Australia and the UK and countries in the West, where do you think our culture came from? So that that's all I have to say about Australia. I think it's a, if you haven't spent any time looking into Australia, highly recommend you do it. Go out there and find some of these videos there is people recording their own interactions with the police and it is vivid in its imagery of a police state and it is really quite horrifying to see how quickly a country went from exceptionally free and um you know prosperous and great because australia was a country that frankly i wanted i would have loved to go to i would have lived in australia 
Yeah, it's, it's funny because I thought about living in New Zealand at one point after being there. Like, oh, this place is amazing. And then it's like, oh, you guys shut down the entire country for yeah, one COVID for, case. For their zero COVID policy, which they came out. It's funny you bring up New Zealand. New Zealand ran a zero COVID policy and then failed to do that. They recently, about a week ago, came out of that. Um, their prime minister came out and, or their minister of health, I can't remember which, came out and, and ended that policy saying that they saw it didn't work. And then they immediately went back to it about a week later when 30 cases popped up in New Zealand and have now come out and said, don't get your media off of Twitter. Don't get your media, blah, blah, blah. Basically have tried to become the single source of information in New Zealand is the, is the New Zealand government. They are trying to say, you should only trust us. We are, and, and it, like, 1984 gets thrown around a lot as everything's Orwellian, but that really is one of the things Orwell put in 1984 is when they finally told you to stop believing your eyes and ears and only believe what they told you. That's the end. And, and that's what New Zealand is trying to do. So New Zealand, Australia, places I would have happily lived in, in not that many years ago in two, three years ago, I would have done that and were highly prosperous and are now shells of their former selves. Um, Australia started as a penal colony and eff effectively has just become one again. Yeah, exactly. And just so everyone's aware, there have been a total of 28 deaths in New Zealand. That's what they used to, to justify the complete and total shutdown with uh, four and a half thousand cases. Yeah, completely and utterly insane. Yeah, actually, uh, to since September of last year, there's like one case, like, like a death, like a death per day. So one is September 5th, September 6th, 16th, and then the next one's like February. The next one after that is in September. Why? And see, that's what I don't understand is, is also how people can willingly go along with that. When you see that happening, how do you willingly go along? And what person genuinely, I, I would like to know, and if you're a listener who believes this, please write us at mikeandjeff at gmail.com. It's M-Y-K-E and J-E-F-F -F at gmail.com. And, and answer this question for me. Or you can DM us on Twitter. Our DMs are open at MJ Writing Right. Um, Instagram, Facebook, any place you can message us, please answer this question. If you are a listener who actually believes this, that if it saves just one life, it's worth it. If you believe that you're a moron, I'm not going to pull my punches. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be nice about it. I'm going to be blunt. If you believe it, I would like you to tell me why. And then we can have a very clear debate about why you're an idiot. And then also justify if you don't believe in, in guns, justify that as well. Because guns save more lives than are, are taken. Yeah. According well, to the, you, the liberal believe, FBI. And if you believe that if one life is saved, that's worth it, then justify how to, how you are okay with, you know, because most people, and, and maybe you're a person who weirdly believes that, but doesn't, but is okay with body shaming and is okay. Like, because most so of those people also most, say that it's okay. It's healthy to be fat, which a factually incorrect statement. Um, so I, I would like to know how you honestly believe that one life justifies subjugating millions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the answer will be because they're a hypocrite. They haven't thought their viewpoints through. But hey, we'll find out. Even sci-fi figured that out 50 years ago that that, was a, that that wasn't even a true statement. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Commander Spock. <laughs> I mean, it's... But seriously, <laughs> if you believe that 
does that mean I think that you should randomly get to just kill whoever you want? No. And that's a ludicrous thing to think, but saving one life is not worth ruining hundreds of thousands or millions more. Yeah. They also proved that in Avengers age of Ultron. That's the, a bad the, movie, the, but listen, the point is they proved that the few do not outweigh the many. That was my point with Thor and Iron Man almost delayed and died, obviously, but they were willing to sacrifice themselves to save the world by blowing up that uh, flying city. I just watched it yesterday. That's why it's on top of my head. Fair enough. So, yeah, anyway, we can talk more COVID, Mike. I've got another COVID topic queued up I can throw at us, or we can shift gears and talk debt ceiling for a minute. Let's keep going with COVID. Why not? All right. So COVID, I just want to talk about just in the United States, we can talk global policy, but in the United States, where we have had more stringent, we have had more stringent uh, restrictions since Joe Biden took office. Joe Biden, who famously famously said he wouldn't shut down the economy. He wouldn't shut down the country. He would shut down the virus who has shut down the country is effectively shutting down the economy and has not stopped the virus. I just wanted to point out like, COVID has had more deaths in 2021 in the United States than in all of 2020. Yes, when we had no way to treat it whatsoever. Yeah, we have now we, we have nothing about it. We have treatment options. We have vaccines that are supposedly so effective, everyone is forced to take them, and we have more people dying at, on uh, across the board in 2021 than we had in 2020. At what point? Do the American people realize two things? One, that COVID is endemic, meaning it we will live with it forever, like the cold or the flu. It cannot be eradicated. And two, that this is not a pandemic of the unvaxxed or any of those, that it is a case-demic where the, by and large, most people are safe and healthy and that this is just going to become a way of life. I, I, I don't know at this point what else can be done to show that to the American people who haven't, granted, millions of Americans have recognized this. That's why we're seeing people like the Southwest pilots striking over this. But mm -hmm. for those of you that are out there that haven't recognized this, I want to know what it takes for you to come to the conclusion this isn't going away. And it's going, you're going to have to learn to live with it. The way we live with pneumonia, the common cold, the flu, and every other endemic disease that exists. It would take Fauci saying that because he is the science. That is well, the, then that's the answer. Happen. That's the correct answer. Like people are, are freaking out about like, like the cases in Florida and Texas, but they, I heard nothing about the fact that Michigan cases have been increasing since the middle of the summer. Like nothing at all. Like it's still going up. Nice slow creep up. You also haven't heard anything about the fact that uh, as of a couple days ago, I think the most recent number I saw was that Florida was 43rd in the country in cases and deaths. Um, mm -hmm. It may have even dropped more since then. So you, you, all we heard about was, was Florida, 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 and Texas, 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 about how horrible those places are. Those are two of the best states in the union right now for uh, handling COVID in terms of case numbers and deaths and hospitalizations. But you don't yeah. hear about that. And you don't yeah, they, and you they, hear about the continuing rise in cases. CNN has gotten rid of their death tracker. Oh, they, got, they finally got rid of that? 
Yeah, it's not up anymore from any of the clips I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. But yeah, it's it's just it's weird to me that now, now that's being brought up, I, and I don't understand. Like I'm on um, worldometers.info. Like if you, if you type in like COVID deaths for United States or for a country, this is like the top website that pops up. So like while we were having this conversation, I looked up Florida um, peaked, let's say August. It has been coming down and Michigan has been going up since end of June. It took, it took me 30 seconds to look that up. So, yeah, I don't get it. And um, to your point, for total deaths per million, yeah, New York and New Jersey is still leading Florida by a, a decent margin. Yeah, not surprised. Mm-hmm. It, so the second question I would throw out, uh, and this is, again, rhetorical, but I'll answer it myself, is at what point do Amer- do the American people realize that nothing Joe Biden has suggested, claimed, or pushed has worked? Cases go up. Deaths go up. Biden straps, Biden pushes more draconian measures and things continue to go up, go up, go up. The, the, the poll numbers tell you the answer to that question. The American people have recognized it. So the only question then becomes, when will Joe Biden recognize it? Or more importantly, his handlers, since I don't think Joe Biden recognizes much of anything. Um, that's the thing that remains to be seen is at what point will the Democrats turn around on this and try and blame Trump some and, and and look, they can blame Trump for the republic. I don't frankly care where the blame falls at this point because people are going to to see it the way they choose to see it. I simply want it to go away because it's got they've got to come to a point where they recognize this strategy is not paying off for them. They will when it's close to election, closer to election. Like this, I don't think it's not gonna go away right now, not in October. They can't they can't justify that. Now that we're in the middle of flu season, actually the beginning of flu season, flu season started. Uh, the flu's September. been eradicated, Mike. Oh, Everything sorry. is COVID. You're right. You're right. Except for those unexplained deaths that happen, I think in September is five times what it normally is. Other the than flu that, has yeah. been eradicated, Mike. Everything is COVID. It is. I think like 80% of people who die from COVID also have the flu. But maybe that's something. It's coincidence. Purely well, the coincidence. Fact, the fact that the average age is the average age of death in America. Like, listen. If the fact that in 2020, we did not see any increase in net overall deaths. Because here's the thing is people fail to realize that there is a, a statistical number of people that will die in the United States and in every country every year all the time. In 2020, around the world, the overall deaths were not increased beyond what they were expected to be. Mm-hmm. You attributed it to all one cause, so it made it sound like that cause was bad. But the same number of people died. Yeah, they just died from something else. All right, let's talk debt ceiling really quick, and then and then maybe we move on to nerd topics. But I want to talk debt ceiling for a second, because the debt ceiling, of course, as usual, the Republicans caved and agreed on a debt ceiling extension until December. 
the debt ceiling has got to be the biggest lie in American politics. And that's a broad statement to make because all of American politics is just one giant lie after another. But the debt ceiling has to be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest lies in all of American politics, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say since like the 1950s, the debt ceiling has been useless. Yeah, I mean, we, we continue to, first of all, from a logical perspective, it's just, well, we can't pay our bills, so let's just borrow more money. If you ran your own budget that way, you'd be, your credit score would be in the tank. You wouldn't be able to get any money and you'd be, uh, you'd be screwed. So from just a logical perspective, no one should be okay with it. From a more specific, from a more political perspective, the fact that we continue to have these little fights where the government, where, where one side will posture and say, well, we can't raise the debt ceiling because when it was, when Trump was in office or uh, W was in office, it was the Democrats. When Obama was in office or now Biden's in office, it's the Republicans. But you both sides ultimately cave. The government never shuts down. Nothing changes. But we had this little fight. Whoa, whoa. The government will shut down. The debt ceiling will continue to go up. To be fair. That's true. Government shutdowns do happen, even though that means nothing, because no actual critical aspect of the government shuts down. Nope. And people get their back pay. And there's also like loans special for federal workers. Like, we'll get your, you'll get your money eventually. So here's a, a no interest loan until you exactly. get Exactly. Exactly. We'll and then the, suspend but your... the, debt ceiling, the debt ceiling always goes up and it never means anything. I want to see the United States default on its debt. Everyone talks about all oh, that. It's going to send us into a, a massive depression. And you know what? Don't care. The, we are already headed for that. Mm-hmm. We have crazy just, hyperinflation. Yes. We're just pushing it off and making it worse. That's the only thing we're doing. Yeah, we have like crazy it, hyperinflation. We have continuously bad jobs reports. Let the depression what? come. Well, the September job reports weren't amazing to you, Jeff? <laughs> it was like less than 200,000. But that is because of the unvaccinated, Mike. That was that was the administration's claim. The unvaccinated uh, are affecting the jobs reports. If people, oh, sorry. Just like Joe Biden also said that the vaccine mandates work. United Airlines had 59% of its staff uh, vaccinated, and then they implemented a vaccine mandate and fired the people who didn't get it, and now they're at 99%. Yeah, when you change the denominator, things tend to get better. <laughs> Like, wow, that's so amazing. You know, what's even more funny is that he didn't say 100%. Mm-hmm. So it still doesn't have everyone vaccinated. Yeah, I wonder who uh, must have been someone high up. He's like, nah, I'm still not getting the vaccine. Yeah, no, thank so you. the jobs Can't fire me. suck. Our inflation continues to go up. We have massive supply chain disruptions. What, I mean, what difference does it make to me if the United States government defaults on its debt on our $28 trillion debt. Hey, I got I, I got nothing for you, Jeff. Like from, from what I've read on the debt ceiling, people it's it's useless. No one cares about it. It means it doesn't nothing mean to people. Anything. It's just a political theater tool. All it does is creates a situation for the government to get for politicians on both sides to get in a snit and pander to their base and make people think it's a big deal, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got one last thing I did want to throw out from my stack of, of things we discussed previously before we move on. And that is China and Taiwan. 
probably honestly one of the bigger topics uh, that we should have hit on earlier, but we're not, the government's not paying attention to this. It doesn't seem the media is not paying attention to this, but there are numerous reports that multiple Chinese government, uh, Chinese government officials and generals have gone to president Z and they want the green light to take out Taiwan. Uh, there was a report over the last week that the U S has been secretly chaining, uh, training Taiwanese military, um, for, for, last six months? A, for, yeah, for between six months and a year, um, in preparation for an attack by the Chinese. This is the closest we probably are going to come if this happens to World War III of anything that I can think of in, in, since World War II. There are a lot of things everybody says, oh, this is going to be World War III. But short of the Cold War, this is going to be the biggest thing to happen to the world since World War II if China mm -hmm. actually attacks Taiwan because then lines are going to have to be drawn in the sand. You're going to have to – people are going to have to take sides because there's no way I can see – everyone's staying out of this conflict because it'll spread. Exactly. The Japanese will be incredibly concerned. The South Koreans will be incredibly concerned. The North Koreans will take this as an opportunity to try and reunify Korea. Um, and, and all of the Asia Pacific region is going to be in turmoil, which is going to mean that all of the West is going to have to take, an, take a stance. Are we going to defend our allies in the East or do we let this try and stay an Eastern war, which is what America did in World War One and World War Two, And both times we got pulled in. Yeah. We had to. We carry the biggest stick, Jeff. I don't know that we do anymore. Mom. Carrying a stick is very masculine and it's not proper to gender our military. <laughs> Excuse me. I apologize. <laughs> But all what we carry aside, is if, things if, that make people go bye bye. How's that? <laughs> all kidding aside, if 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 China attacks Taiwan, which it seems more and more likely to do, it's going it could trigger it's going to destabilize the entire world because it will trickle beyond the east. Just like oh, Germany attacking uh, attacking in Europe destabilized the world, this will destabilize the world. And the question is, where will we fall? Because I don't know that this administration has the balls to actually take on China. No, I mean, they don't. And I, I think that's why China is, is planning to attack now. I, I definitely think so. I think they've been emboldened by the Biden presidency. Yeah. Like there was no talk of this under Trump. Because say what you want well about him being trigger happy, that scared people. I'm like, oh, if the guy's ready to press the, the, the red button at any time, maybe I shouldn't piss him off. Yeah, which... A, you're right, and that was a good thing. We need a president like that. And B, it's hilarious that people still claim the man was trigger happy when he's the only president in history or in the in the last 50 years who didn't start a new war. Exactly. So he was really trigger happy. He what? Let's see. He took out an Iranian general that was known for supporting terrorism and attacked our own troops. Uh, not trigger happy. Uh, justified retaliation. He drew us down in Afghanistan. Had a plan that, uh, if executed, would have been a proper exit. Like. He wasn't trigger happy, yeah. but even if he was, you're right. I would rather have a trigger happy president that people are afraid to screw with than a man that everyone knows is too big of a coward and too big of a corporate shill to ever take a chance against the Chinese. Because I don't think the Chinese have any fear of the West right now. And the West is unified by all of NATO's, NATO's ally countries are typically unified by the fact that they are all relying on the United States. 
We've already pissed off France to the fact that, to the uh, to the extent that they pulled their ambassadors. We're pissing off Israel on a regular basis. We the British are not exactly our fans right now. We're we're losing allies left and right, even though they may not formally have walked away from us. They don't have any faith in us. In if it's they the go to war, that we're going to back them, which means they're not. They don't. If they don't trust us, then we don't really have an alliance. Right, and they haven't built up the military since World War II. They rely on the U.S. So they, they, I don't think they have the, the might to go against China without us. The only country that would probably be close, the only two that would be close would be um, Britain and Israel. And not in terms of numbers. Nobody has the numbers. But they have the military technology to do it. Because Israel has a highly advanced military equipment. Um, but Israel doesn't have the ability to focus on China because then they would, they would be under a constant attack by Hamas and by others in the PLO and others. Um, Britain has, has, has historically had a great military. Um, that's why they had the British empire, but they're not what they were. And I don't know that they, they're the closest in the West to being able to take on China if they, if they're not us, but they don't have the might that we do, the ability to take on China. And they are too dependent on other sources of like the thing that makes America so strong militarily is that we also don't have to rely on anyone for anything. Mm-hmm. We do take oil from other sources. We do take food from but other sources, need to. but it's because we can. It's not because we need to. If America really got into the war, we have enough oil deposits to to handle ourselves. We have enough. We have everything we need to Still handle our own war in the United States. Britain doesn't have that. Yeah, that's why I don't think Britain can handle it. I think the only one country that can that China is scared of is United States. I, if we well, were there, to use there's our one other, There's one other country I would say goes on this list, and we didn't mention them because they're not Western allies. But there is one country in the world that I genuinely believe China fears. And I think they fear them more than they fear the United States by a what? lot. Russia. Japan? Uh, Russia. Russia is very, very big. It is very hard to attack. And they are very strong militarily. And Putin has done nothing since his... since taking over, but build up that military strength back to what it was in the Soviet Union's heyday. So I think China fears Russia because if they piss Russia off, Russia is big enough to fight them. And no one has ever been able to fight a war with Russia and win. No. You can't go to Russia. (laughs) I really can't. Hitler found that out the hard way. Everyone always does. So again, we didn't put them on the list because I don't think they're going to... I don't think they're going to... What? Before he went in the middle of the winter, so he chose the worst time to attack. The, I mean, to be fair, un, the, the unattackable of the country is like nine months in Russia. Listen, <laughs> he had a three month window, he chose not to use it. I, I'm but, saying I agree with you, but when you, you pick on a, a, a country that's that strong of um, natural defense, you don't choose the worst time to attack them. No, I agree. Look, there are a lot of reasons that Hitler lost in Russia that he could have, they, they, you could have fought. My point is simply that I think China fears Russia more than they fear us. The only difference is that Russia is not going to defend Western ideals. They don't care. And, and as long as it is detrimental to the United States and to the West, and it doesn't impact Russia negatively, Russia won't get involved. They won't stop China. They don't care. Now, if China starts mm-hmm. impeding, impeding Russia's ability to do what they want, then Putin will get involved. But otherwise, he's going to sit back on the sidelines because he knows they're not going to come after him. Because mm-hmm. the Chinese government is smart enough to know they can't fight Russia. 
Other than that, I don't think there's a country on earth except the U.S. that can hold Russia at bay. And the U.S. is right now led by a coward. Um, you brought up Japan a second ago, um, not knowing if I was going to say Russia. I think I don't think the Japanese military is remotely concerned to the Chinese anymore. Not post-World War II because they haven't really been able to build a military. The pre- like There was a time when, yeah, Japan and, chi- and China are, are <laughs> historical enemies, and Japan owned that, uh, owned that series, as it were, if you think of it in rivalry terms. I don't think that Japan would hold a, sh- a chance in a war with China today. They don't have China has two things going for it. They are a communist government, so they can dedicate all their resources to the war effort without any fight because they just simply say, this is what we're doing now. And two, they have over a billion people and they do not care about those people. So they will use them as fodder. And when you're willing to let your people die in inordinate numbers, it's very hard to win a fight. Because yeah. all they, they could just they could actually mount an invasion of Japan and outnumber them one to like five to one on the ground, and who cares if they lose fifty percent of that force? They don't care. Yeah, I always like when I think of like numbers, I just think of like a higher kill count per bomb. <laughs> but ju- but the question is, does Japan really have the capability to do much of that? Because Japan's military, I mean, they weren't even allowed to have a standing military for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Japan's military might is, but I would not think that they'd be a concern to China. I could be wrong, but I, I think that really the only two forces that can actually hold the balance would be Russia and, and the U.S. And Russia, Russia's only interest is Russia, which in a small way is admirable because if America thought like that, we'd have a lot fewer problems than we do. But um Russia wouldn't, if, if Japan, if China invades Taiwan, as long as it doesn't stop any Russian economic uh, plans, Putin's not going to say a word. Mm-hmm. He'll wait and see us, uh, see us crumble. That's a good point. So I guess yeah. fingers crossed, everyone, everyone pray that China doesn't go and attack Taiwan because I think that that would be a very big that would be a very big impact to the world if it does happen. That's it's not getting talked about a lot and it really should because China hasn't mobilized their force really against anybody in a while. Yeah. They kind of took Hong Kong, but they did it in in kind of a a quick silent way. They didn't use military force to do it. They just uh, subjugated the people in Hong Kong, which was also a problem we should stepped in and and got involved in that we didn't um, because the people in Hong Kong are, have been our allies, but we didn't defend them. And Taiwan is specifically asked for help. And it seems like we're not doing much about it because I don't care what training we're giving them. We aren't giving them enough military might to fight off China. Right. Not unless we've suddenly trained them to be Goku. I mean, we could have. I mean, really, no matter how many bombs we give them, how many uh, you know training, different types of training we give their soldiers, just sheer numbers alone. China and Taiwan are landlocked. It's not hard for China to fight them. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Good points. We're going to follow this as it develops to keep people informed. So should we get to the nerd topics? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So last week we didn't get a chance to do our nerd topic. So we're going to do a double topic this week. First, we're going to touch on the Venom, uh, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, because that was the one we had uh, originally intended to do. And second, we're going to talk about the 
new revelation that Superman, not Clark Kent, but John Kent, his son, is bisexual. Joining uh, Tim Drake, Red Robin, as bisexual because comic books continue to do everything they can to uh, be more and more woke. Yeah. And what, Aqualad? Is he Aqualad gay or bisexual? It, 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 it's funny that they're all bisexual, apparently. Mm -hmm. I, I used to know this list. I can't remember anymore. Well, we'll get to that in a second. So first, let's start with Venom. Let there be carnage. Okay. So Jeff has not watched the movie, and he refuses to still. because of certain reasons. So if Jeff gives the reasons why he won't watch it or what he expects in the movie, I will just confirm or deny that that is the case. So this okay. really won't be a review. It would just be like, uh, if if you agree with Jeff, then I would recommend not seeing the movie. So I guess before I get into this, my one question is, was it a good movie objectively? Mm, it was an okay movie. Was it better than the first one? No. Then that means it was not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have my own opinion. So, 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 so I have, I have a, like different levels. I, I rate things. So Venom is like, is this movie entertaining enough that if I'm eating popcorn, I don't care how it is. And that, that fulfilled its obligation. Okay, see, and I'm, I'm okay with movies like that as well, but... It's, it's like Venom, Fast and Furious. It's like, no, Fast and Furious is, is objectively fun and good. Uh, it's ridiculous and stupid, but it's, it's good and entertaining. All right. Have I would you not seen call the good. I would call Yes, I would not call them good. I would call them entertaining. This is what Venom was. Some of them are actually good. There are a couple of them that are actually good. Yeah, the, the last few have not been. Oh, no. Well, after Paul Walker died, the movie lost its heart. Mm -hmm. But Tokyo Drift is actually a good movie. Yeah. So when Fast Fears was actually about cars, it was a great franchise. Then they started robbing banks and going into space. And I was other like, oh, stupid crap. I was like, all right. Admittedly, super stupid in Fast Nine, but I did like that they actually had Tyrese call out the fact that like they're basically just video Immortal. characters because they should be dead. Like that at least was funny. Like they're calling out how stupid it is. That was funny, but it's but if you know it's stupid, this calling it out as being stupid doesn't justify you continue to make stupid movies. Okay, fair enough. So anyway, I have my own problems with Venom, which we can get into, but. More importantly, I have a brother who is a the way that I am a Batman fan and you are a Superman fan. He is a Venom fan, mm -hmm. a, a, an extremely hardcore Venom fan. And so I was more interested in because he has a visceral hatred for the first movie. <laughs> and so I was more interested in why he hated it mm -hmm. to confirm whether or not these things are in the movie. So he gave me kind of a bullet point list that he, he had, and we'll kind of go through it. So he said the first, the first thing he had, and this I know they didn't solve, and I do agree with him on this, is the first problem he has is there's no Spider-Man, which ruins the origin story for, for Venom. It, by, by, a, by not having it connected to Spider-Man, by having Spider-Man never have had the symbiote, it makes the, it makes the origin story not good. Yes, but there's a end credit scene that's going to remedy that. It remedies him. Spider-Man had it first. 
Do you want me to, do you want me to give you the, the spoiler? Yeah, I don't care. All right. Um, it seems like I'll I'll watch the movie when it's free. So by then, I don't care if there's if I've seen the spoilers. Okay, so pretty much, pretty much, like the Venom universe was a separate universe. Mm-hmm. So like the when because of the multiverse happening in Marvel, that the, that got merged together. So like Venom is like they're like chilling in, in like a hotel room, and Venom's talking about all the amazing powers that he has as a symbiote. Then he does something, and then the channel changes to like um, Spider-Man being revealed as Peter Parker. Okay, but that still doesn't mean that Spider-Man had the suit first, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. But they, they are they are bringing in... Bringing Spider-Man like- in, I, I knew they were going to integrate him because Sony yes. said they were already going to do that, especially because Sony's still in a feud with Marvel. Um, so I knew mm-hmm. they were going to do that. And that is good. Don't get me wrong. That's better than what it was. But my brother's point, and, and I think it's valid, is that one of the core comp- the core focused things of Venom as a character is the symbiote's hatred for Spider-Man and Eddie Brock's hatred for Peter Parker because the symbiote really, most of the most of the early stuff of Venom is the symbiote trying to, like, actively does bad things so that it draws Spider-Man there because it feels rejected by Spider-Man and wants to get Spider-Man back. It does not want to be Eddie Brock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ruined by the fact that Spider-Man didn't have it first because Spider-Man is a much better host for Venom or for the Venom symbiote than, than Eddie Brock. But um, it, it, uh, his other point was, he said, and I quote, the movie used basically none of the good parts of the Eddie Brock story, the adversarial relationship with the symbiote progression from villain to good guy. And I agree with that as well. The first movie made Eddie Brock kind of a good guy from the beginning. And he wasn't really battling with the symbiote because again, in the comic books, in like the lethal protector series and stuff that get into venom as a symbiote eddie brock is being manipulated by the symbiote to the point where he almost can't trust his own thoughts because he Mm -hmm. doesn't know if the symbiote is saying something or if he's saying something because the symbiote is actively trying to make him a bad guy so that spider-man will have to fight him so that it can go back to spider-man because it doesn't care if eddie brock lives or dies it's simply using him as a tool and so eddie brock actively hates the symbiote at first so in this in the second one they get more into that relationship. So pretty okay. much Venom, um, he needs to eat brains to survive. So he wants to go out and eat eat bad guys, but Brock is stopping him because the FBI is like watching him because of all the crap that happened in the first one. So instead he has to settle for like eating chocolate and chicken chicken heads. So like there's like a there's a, a fight there and then they eventually do break up for a little bit in the movie. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh, doesn't sound great, but it sounds interesting. Um, next is, uh, this was my brother's complaint, but I, I tend to agree with it, is he did not like the way they represented the powers in the movie. Um, meaning like Eddie Brock is very rarely actually in the full on what you'd consider the suit of the symbiote. Um, because most of the time in the first movie, and I don't know if they did this in the second, but most of the first movie is just tentacles, black tentacles coming out and grabbing villains and smacking them around and stuff. While Eddie Brock is just running around doing stuff, he's not actually like Venom. Um, he's actually aesthetically he, the, was done. Yeah, the Venom actually does take over more in the in the second one. And so he's actually in what you'd consider the suit. Yes. 
Okay, that would be that. So that would be a plus in the plus column then, because that mm -hmm. was a, and that was a valid complaint because most of the first movie, the symbiotes kind of just like um, little arms that shoot out. Yeah, so there's actually like a a venom costume that pops up, but it's, uh, it's still it's still a lot of Eddie like walking around and the venom talking in his head. I'm sure to save on like CGI costs, but like the the fights, um, actually the fights were. were better in the, than the first one okay so that's good um, yeah you guys you can see like who's who because <laughs> in the first one you just saw like a bunch of like almost like paint splashing against each other you actually can see who was venom and who was carnage when they fight so next complaint and i again share this one was the mm -hmm. the choice and i agree with this one big time i thought it was stupid when i saw the first movie i think it's stupid looking back on it the choice in the original movie to make the Venom symbiote basically the weakest one that was like afraid of the other symbiotes from the planet it, it is not only a stupid decision, it is a complete contradiction to the actual character in the comic books because the Venom symbiote should not be weaker. Um, in, in, in reality, in the comics, is actually like the strongest one from that planet. Yeah, that's still there. And he, if he still acts like a... The, so the problem with Venom 2... And I think it's in Venom One. Is they try to do like half horror. They try to do horror, action, and comedy at the same time. And horror and action works, and um, comedy and action work. But you mm -hmm. can't do all three of them together. Yep. So I agree. So that's like one of the issues that I had with it. It's like, like when he saw Carnage, he was afraid. Yeah, and see, and that shouldn't be the case. That's another thing that and uh, that my brother pointed out that I had forgotten about until. Um, he pointed out is most of the villains in the first movie, most of the other symbiotes that they show should have come from Venom the way Carnage mm -hmm. does. Um, because one of the most popular uh, Venom comic books is Separation Anxiety, which mm -hmm. is when a bunch of the other symbiotes split off. That's where Carnage comes from and where the female one comes from. Like, and so Carnage didn't appear in the other movie, but a lot of the other ones did as enemies at the end. And they mm -hmm. should have come from Venom. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a big problem. That makes sense. And and Venom 2, Carnage does actually come from Venom. I did figure that. And that part is good. Um, my my brother's last big complaint was uh, that the... Well, he had some complaints about the movie structure. And I'll get into those because that's my complaints as well. Um, but from a comic book standpoint, he also had a big problem with the fact that he felt like the symbiote was basically made to look like a black flubber. And it was just mm -hmm. an amorphous blob um, and just did what it needed to do at the times, um, which I did think it, it did not look good. Oh, yeah. I I agree with that for the first one. In the second one, they do do a, a better job of making them as Venom. You know, you can understand more of what's going on. Okay. And he, he even pointed out that, like, if they really followed the comics, it should peel off almost like tendons, not like just a goo ball. Um, like, and if you look at uh, issues, yeah, I think like um, Venom Spider Man War and stuff, you'd see the cover, and it would be reminiscent. Of yeah, that. I think the uh, the Spider Man Spider Man Three with uh, Tobey Maguire, like the way it like clung to him, was mm -hmm. more comic book realistic. Yes. So he had those complaints, but his big complaints were just the way in which they treated Eddie Brock and the Venom's relationship, because 
they're, they ultimately eventually learn to trust each other and, and become go from villain to good guy. But it is not immediate to the point where in the comics, the Venom symbiote actually convinces Eddie Brock he has cancer and he needs him to live because he doesn't want to be rejected again. Um, and so Brock hates the, the symbiote at first, which was my brother's big complaint. Now, from a movie standpoint, the other complaint I had, and I think you summed it up well, is they tried to mesh way too many genres in a way that did not work. The movie had no semblance of pacing. It was just like they just kind of did what they needed to do to make the story work, but they didn't. It was, it was hopping from action scene to action scene. Yeah, and, and there was no real ex explanation or exposition in between. Um, so it just kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense. So if you can tell me that some of those things, it sounds like they improved on in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, but by and large, it sounds like the movie is much the same. Yeah, yeah. There, there are some some improvements, but yeah, overall, I would say um, it's it's the same. Yeah, which it's is like, disappointing like, because Tom Hardy, I think I, I like Tom Hardy, and I think he could have been a really cool Venom. Um, I think one of the other problems the movie has is it should have been an R-rated movie, and yes. the fact that Sony um, pulled it back to PG thirteen on the first and second one, I think hurt the ability of the movie to do what it should have done. Mm -hmm. I, I also agree with that. And so, I do think making the Venom symbiote weak is stupid because that is not the, that's not, I don't know what that adds to the movie other than to piss off comic book fans. Pretty much. Unless only thing I can think of is when he merges with Spider-Man, he, cause he gains some spider-like abilities. That's one thing I think of that he gains um, more strength from being with a stronger human. He does, but even before that, the Venom symbiote and some of the other stuff from the lore is supposed to be like one of the strongest of the symbiotes. Right. And, and I, I mean, instead and it I, became like the reject was kind of just, but, but again, I think the biggest thing is the fact that you've disconnected Venom from Spider-Man eliminates, it's kind of like the fact that Spider-Man's never fought Venom in the in MCU. It, you eliminate the best villain. Mm -hmm. It's like having Batman without the Joker. So I have a question. When age-wise did Spider-Man and Venom fight? Because Sp like Spider-Man's one... How yeah, old were they? Well, the reason I'm asking because because Spider-Man and Batman are really... Or sorry, Spider-Man and Nightwing are really the only superheroes that actually like age while everyone else changed the same. So I'm wondering if um, Spider-Man fought Venom like after college. In which case, it kind of makes sense that you have a few movies with just Spider-Man and now that Spider-Man is grown up or, or older that you can have a Spider-Man Venom. It, so I, the answer to the question I think is yes, it is when he's older. Um, and it, do, it does make sense because of the way they did Spider-Man. The problem is it doesn't make sense because one of the main reasons that Spider-Man and Venom don't get along is because of Spider-Man's relationship to the symbiote, which now doesn't exist. Yeah. So, because black suit Spider-Man is a major part of Spider-Man's history. Oh, I agree, and I'm I'm hoping that now that Spider-Man's in this in like the universes have merged, that uh, Eddie Brock goes. Like... Go ahead. Hmm? I was gonna say I'm hoping that Eddie Brock still ends up at the the Daily Bugle working, and that he starts to hate Spider-Man, and then the the symbiote leaves him. So, 
it can it can still happen. They, they can still make it work. Still it won't story. be accurate, but it could. Yeah, you're right. They could still make it happen and make it work. Um, although, to be honest, I think they're going to end up rebooting Spider Man again. So who freaking knows? Yeah, probably. I mean, well, already, are, well, Sony has already said at this point they can't reach an agreement with Disney, which means that if they keep um, Tom, Holland. McGuire, uh, Tom Holland, there's too many Spider-Mans. Uh, <laughs> if they keep Tom Holland, he won't be tied to the MCU anymore, which I don't have a problem with. But it's also very likely they will just drop Tom Holland and reboot again. I'm hoping that they choose to keep him since he's so popular. Well, the other question is whether or not Tom Holland will stay on because his contract is up after Far From Home. Mm-hmm. He signed on for six movies, three solo and three um, three ensemble, and he's, and yeah. he's done it. Uh, with this one coming out, he'll be out of contract. So the question is, Tom Holland as an actor, does he want to continue to be Spider-Man? Now, for me and I'm an actor, I'd rather play that role in, in perpetuity because I think actors who walk away from those roles, rarely do they ever find success in at that level again. Oh, because you, you've been typecast. You've been, not oh. only you've been typecast, but you've also played by far one of the biggest, like you're even if you're a good actor and you do other things, you're never going to be in a movie that's going to be as big as a superhero movie. They make right. billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, from interviews I've seen, I mean, these are, are pretty, they're a few years old, but it sounds like he wants to do it for a long time. It does sound like that. And I, I, I don't dislike Tom Holland. I actually, I didn't think I'd like him when they first cast him. Um, not like anything against I just I didn't really want to watch high school Spider-Man again um, and I still don't love that they did that I thought that was an unnecessary and stupid thing to do mm-hmm. but it worked okay um, yeah. and I'd like to see Tom Holland stay in the role and if they do that then they can do a lot with it I do think um, he's gonna be I don't think they're gonna reach a deal with Disney I think it's very unlikely at this point no I don't think they will either because Sony has all the cards and Disney's acting like they're more important Disney's acting like they have all the leverage when they have absolutely none. And I think Disney's whole game plan was like, fine, we'll just buy Sony. And then uh, COVID happened and they couldn't recoup the money they lost in buying Fox. And uh, they're now burning cash and they can't go afford to buy Sony. And now people like Apple and Amazon are talking about buying Sony. So they definitely won't be able to buy them and compete. So I think that they're going to lose Spider-Man completely, which is a massive miscalculation on Disney's part because they don't have anybody left. They do not. No one that anyone cares about. No, they, they have Wolverine. That's it. They do. They have Wolverine, but it, if Hugh Jackman doesn't come back, I don't see people caring as much about this Wolverine as the next one. Probably not. They, I mean, I think the comic book fans will, but casual fans won't. You're right. And the yeah. biggest thing is, like, even if they do come back, you know, even if they bring that back, you have you have a lot of groundwork to lay to make mutants make sense in the MCU because you didn't. They could have done it with the snap, and they chose not to. They can, now they can do it with the multiverse, but the way they've done things, there's no mutants in the MCU, so it still doesn't make any sense. Nope. So we'll see how it goes. I I don't think it'll be uh, honestly. I think in the the long term the Marvel style superhero movies are going to continue to, to lose revenue. I think so too. I, think, I mean, I, I think the, the Disney movie that not Disney DC movies, which are like great movies that have to be about superheroes are going to what be what takes, takes over. Well, especially because you're now seeing talk that they're going to revive the Snyder verse. Um, 
Batman or Ben Affleck is talking about coming back as Batman. The Batman sounds like it's going to be really good. The Suicide Squad, because they're going grittier, I do think that's going to, mm-hmm. especially with the way, like, I'm not a big person who's always says things like, with what's going on in the world, movies need to do this and that. Um, I think that people view movies as an escape. But people do, in general, with what's going on in the world, want to see a grittier movie that's not a bunch of superheroes making quips. And the DC movies are touching on that nerve. And I, what DC has failed to do is create a cohesive storyline and universe. But mm-hmm. I think now that they've just kind of realized, oh, we suck at that and we're just not gonna, um, that was smart they're going to do. start to be successful. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll have like small ties so that we can do a ensemble movie we want to, but they're not going to be like as linked as the Marvel universe is. Yeah. And, and I think that's okay. And they don't need to because... DC leaning into the multiverse is actually smart. Like I know that Marvel's big thing now is they're opening up their multiverse, but DC has been the multiverse for decades. That's what makes DC's comics and Mm -hmm. they're leaning into it because Titans is in its own universe and the Arrowverse is its own own thing. And uh, yeah, actually I think the Arrowverse and the Smallville verse are separate as well. They are. Yeah, Yeah, they are. I can remember the, uh, uh, the crisis uh, timeline. Yeah. So, and then, Arrowverse, um, so the Black Lightning is also a separate one. Black Lightning was, now he's part of the Arrowverse after Crisis. Oh, yeah. 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 They merged together. That's right. But I mean, it doesn't and, matter. That, that's gone anyway. And Stargirl's its own universe. Although I have a major complaint about Stargirl, but that's separate. See, I, I haven't, I've, I watched like four or five episodes. And I thought it was better than the uh, Arrowverse. So here's my complaint about Stargirl. Have you seen season one or two? I've only I watched like the first four or five episodes of season one. Okay, so I've seen all of season one. My complaint with Stargirl is actually not the show. I actually like the show. My complaint with Stargirl is it was a DC Universe show, and they brought it to the CW. Okay, that's fine. I you know you're doing it to make more revenue, but all the other DC Universe shows moved to HBO Max. Stargirl is only airing on the CW now. I didn't know that. I actually would have watched season two to see if it got if it continued to be good, but the season's like almost over now. Did not know that. It's not been at all released on HBO Max. Massively irritates me because it was a DC Universe show. I thought it was on there. Season one is season oh, two's season not. One. I wonder if they'll release it um, like the week after, like they do with uh, the shows on Netflix. The whole season will that's what I'm hoping is the whole season will drop. It still annoys me though, because there was no no reason to do that. You could have released it on HBO Max simultaneously. There was no yeah. reason not to. It's for people like me who were subscribers to your program when you started it, you've now screwed it so that we I didn't get to see the it just it just irritates me as a consumer. Well, that makes sense. All right, so let's since we're talking DC, let's talk about our other topic real quick. <sighs> All right. So as of today, I saw an article. We saw an article about a month or two ago that Red Robin, uh, aka Tim Drake, um, had been uh, revealed as bisexual in the comics. Um, as of today, John Kent, who has taken over the mantle of Superman in the DC universe currently, um, and to be honest with you, I can't tell you why because I stopped purchasing the current issues and don't know what's going on, why Clark Kent's not Superman anymore. But either way, his son is Superman and has come and is coming out as bisexual as well. 
Um, these types of small, we'll call them wins for the LGBTQ blah, blah, blah community um, that comics keeps wanting to do are not wins. What they are is pandering, number one, and they're irritating, number two, because you're pandering, but like you're, you're taking established characters and you're just making some new thing about their sexual identity so that you can say, look, we have gay characters, we have bi characters, we have non-binary, we all this stuff nobody cares about except for the reality is the only people who care about those are the four percent of gay and lesbian people that think they have to have representation in everything. Because even most LGBT people don't really care what a comic book character's sexuality is. It shouldn't matter. You shouldn't this shouldn't be discussed in a uh the the ratings for comics are, are different, but like in a kid's level um comic book it shouldn't even be discussed it has no bearing on the comic and look well the the immediate retort would be well nightwing always has related like there are relationships in comics and yeah there have also been gay characters in comics for a long time cassandra already is already is a lesbian renee montoya is a lesbian like first of all you don't have to change Uh, what was that midnighter is he Mm mm-hmm I'm like 99% sure he is. Probably is. I I, I think you're probably right. And like Hellbla- uh, Hellblazer Constantine has been portrayed in the comic books as pansexual for a long time. Um, yes. Midnighter and Apollo. Okay. They actually had a, a six uh, episode uh, comic book series about them. And it's about their them cri- fighting crime. And, and Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Like if you, if you do something and you happen to incorporate their relationship, fine. And, and it is what it is. Like I still, I, I, my favorite thing that DC has made in terms of the DC universe shows is not Titans. It's actually Harley Quinn and Harley Quinn spent the entire last season really highlighting Harley falling in love with poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Didn't bother her, me because it's an established her, part of that character. It's that. And it seemed realistic, like it's struggling with the storyline. Yes. There he goes, organic. I I hate when they do it with with Superboy. They did, did it with um, Robin number three. Yeah, Red Robin's Robin number three. It's like so with, with Robin. Um, he's had what two decades of comic book history. Yep, actually like, no, uh, more than that because he actually. I always think it's only two decades, but we're actually in twenty twenty one. It's almost like four. It's close to four holy decades crap. at this point. It's been a, yeah. It came out okay. in the 80s. I have the first appearance of Tim Drake as Robin in, in my comic book collection. I believe that comic is from 1988. I will double check. Oh, there we go. Um, but that's you know, that's that's three and a half decades. Okay. So he's been he's been a Robin since we were born, essentially. There's been no comic that I've read that's talked about him even hinting towards that. So you, you just switch the butt, like, all right, he's now bisexual. And then there's people like on Twitter and stuff like, well, if you were reading the comics, you would already always would have known that. It's like, no, I read I read the Teen Titan comics, I read the, the Batman comics. There's nothing, at least in the last five years, ten years for the comics I've been reading, that have said anything about his relationship with men. Nothing whatsoever. And with Superboy or Superman now, it's like, all right. You could have he because he's a fairly new character, right? You could have at the at least established it at the very beginning, 
like, all right, this is a new character, and this new character is going to be bisexual. But what instead they're doing is like, we're going to make this character, we're going to try to build up his fan base, and now that we have enough people, boom, he's bisexual, and if you stop reading, then you're a bigot. It's it's lazy writing, and I, I hate it. I hate it when they do that with, with making characters black. Um, and people who, who Which they know, normally do with redheaded characters, as you've pointed out before. Yes. I have a conspiracy theory that all the redheaded characters will be turned black. And I, I on a podcast six months ago, I was listed off like 15 characters. So I'm not crazy. Uh, the, the latest two are like Batgirl and um, Jim Gordon on in the uh, the Batman movie that's coming out. They're both redheads. I had to like actually had to confirm Jim Gordon because I can only most think of him with his white hair. I was watching a uh, was it year one with Batman? Yeah, he is redheaded. Still... He is redheaded when he's not old in almost every depiction I've ever read. Yeah, but can I remember if Barbara got her red hair from him or from his wife? But his wife is a uh, brunette. And yes, I know this type of information about fictional characters. The point is, I am right, and the gingers are being erased. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you're right. It is lazy. To go back to your point, it is lazy writing. And that's part of the problem with it is, again, if if you make it organic to the story, I don't have to. I'm not a big fan of like throwing all that. I don't personally think it needs to be in comic books at all that are written for kids. If you want to put that in black label stuff and have more sexual content, that's what it's for. But comics for well, kids don't so, need a lot of relationships. Yes. In them. But even if you're going to do it, do it in a way that's organic, not a way that just feels forced so that you can check a box. Thank you. So with that being said. What do you think of the Superman and Lois Lane relationship and the Batman and Catwoman? Because in, in my opinion, at least for Batman and Catwoman, it doesn't really add anything to Batman's story. Except for the in one instance where um, they have a, a daughter that takes up his mantle. But overall, I feel like it doesn't it doesn't really shift Batman anywhere or another. And it seems like anytime they try to write a relationship story. For Batman, it always ends up with some villain came in and ruined it. And it's just a waste of a a story arc, in my opinion. So in danger of sounding like a hypocrite, I will say I think that those relationships have importance to the comics, for, but for slightly different reasons than than everything else. I think Superman's love of Lois Lane is critical to the character of Superman because I think it establishes... So let me do him and then I'll get to... I'll answer your question about about Captain. Okay, well... Because because I think they juxtapose with one another. Yeah, well, well, then let me give my opinion of Superman okay. really quick. Okay, so the reason I I said Batman first, I wanted to, I wanted you to answer Batman, but for Superman, I think the one with Superman makes more sense because they work together, they're constantly around each other, and the relationship developed more organically. In my opinion, it it made I don't say more sense, but it flowed with the story more often. It's like, all right, she's a investigative reporter and she's always doing something dangerous and he's always there to save her so they're always around each other and they developed the her love of superman but then they also they then waited decades it's like all right because she needs to love clark clark kent before we actually make this relationship so that's why i didn't hop into superman but i think the superman lois lane one makes more sense but okay. sorry, continue. So, no, no, I'm glad you I'm glad you shared that. So 
I agree with what you said. My reason is different though of why I think it's important. I think it's important to establish because Superman's character is so about purity and is so about the purity of the American ideal. And I think his love of Lois Lane and his love of Smallville and, and all of that is, is really, in, it's important to the character because it's important to establish that even though he's an alien, he is very attached to the American ideal and to the um, ideals of humanity and that he puts, his, he will endanger himself to protect Lois Lane. He will, like, and that Lois Lane, that he puts his love for her above almost anything else. So I think it, it does a lot to inform who Superman is at his core. Um, and in a similar way, that's the only reason I think there's a benefit to the Batman-Catwoman relationship is I don't think it's as important. I, I, I think you can write Batman with or without the relationship completely the same. But the benefit, the only benefit to any time Batman's relationships work it, or, or are written about is I think they show Batman at his core cannot be with other people. That he will, at the end yep. of the day, put the mission before the person. And that is why I, him I and Catwoman always fail. I don't think it needs to be Catwoman to do that. But I think that I think that's the only reason those relationships matter is because it shows that Superman will put something above the mission and Batman will put the mission above not, above everything. And it shows, right. shows the dichotomy of it, it sounds really high, highbrow literature to say this, but I think that's the dichotomy of man in those two characters. And I think that's the intent. So I agree with you. I just think that his relationship with Nightwing shows the exact same thing. So I don't think he Batman needs to have a um I, I disagree about Nightwing. I disagree with about Nightwing, but I understand where you're coming from. Because mm -hmm. I think many people would agree with you. I have a slightly different opinion on it. But I okay. think that my opinion's in the minority, even amongst Batman fans. I don't think it's like I have an informed opinion because I'm a bigger Batman fan. I just I have a different I view the relationship with Nightwing differently because I view Nightwing as the one functional relationship that Batman has. So the reason I say he puts the mission before him is because that's what drove Robin away and why he Transforming into Nightwing. It is. It, I think, it definitely and is. him, That's why him coming, him coming back is like it's them kind of showing that the relationship has been mended, and that yes, that is his one or actually two because because um, Alfred. Alfred, yeah. yeah. I, I like I said, I think ninety nine percent of people would actually agree with you over me, even though I'm a Batman fan. I just I've always viewed the Batman more than any other. Like I don't think Batman and any other Robin have the relationship that Bruce and Dick have which is oh, why I've always been a fan of Dick Grayson above every other Robin. While you could arguably say the best Robin is easily Tim Drake, I think the best Robin is 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 Dick Grayson because so, of his understanding so, of Bruce Wayne. So I think Tim Drake is the best Robin. I think Nightwing is the only one qualified to be Batman. I agree with I agree with that and I and I think that Dick Grayson is the only one who really understands bruce wayne mm -hmm. like tim drake understands him on a on a logical level and on a tactical level um damien understands him in a way even jason todd understands him in a way jason todd understands his pain more than anyone else but dick mm -hmm. grayson fundamentally understands what makes batman tick because as you, as dick grayson becomes nightwing he becomes more like batman as he goes but he's a batman who's less maladjusted yes um, and, and I know that's off topic, but so to answer your question, no, I don't think the relationship with Catwoman is really that important other than to show the, the total contrast to Superman. I think mm -hmm. the Superman Lo Lois Lane relationship is one of the most important things in the comics. Well, okay. 
So how about this? Do you think that those relationships, though at least even the Superman Lois Lane one, need to be an intimate relationship? Because I feel like they can accomplish the same thing as close friends. And the reason I say that is because you can see Superman doing similar things for, for Jimmy. Jimmy Olsen. So if you take Superman and Lois Lane and you amplify their relationship, their friendship. I think that, yes, you could accomplish the same goal. If you were trying to do comics purely with no sexual relationships, yes, you could do that. I think because Lois Lane has been Superman's love interest for so long that I think mm -hmm. that, again, it's organic. I think it's okay. Like, I don't really have a, I don't have a problem with the fact that they've shown that Renee Montoya is a lesbian. Uh, Renee mm -hmm. Montoya being the question for anyone not aware. Uh, well, she the was. Second iteration I, of the question. Yes. But, you know, I don't have a problem with them making her because they made it, it like, it's not in your, just like the Superman Lois Lane thing is typically not in your face. And but, no, it's not. But this Tim Drake and John Kent thing is being specifically put in your face because it's the only way they can do it because it has no organic relationship to a story. Right. So when I think of uh, the the gay relationships for like Renee uh, Montoya, I think of like she's out at a bar and she starts starts like talking to a girl, and then the next panel like you see them like in bed together, and then it's like back to the story no one no one's like highlighting that as like this is why you need to read the comic it's because of this it's like you need to read this comic because it's a compelling story and oh yeah she happens to be gay yeah and and i could totally see the argument that just take all of that out of kids comics and you're right and in that case take the lois lane thing and, and just highlight them as friends and catwoman and batman are are similar in the sense that the other thing that's beneficial about catwoman to batman is that she is the, basically the reverse of Batman. She's bad, but not really. Just like Batman is good, but not not completely. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you can highlight that. You can eliminate all sexual relationships from comics, and I would be totally okay with it because they don't really have a place in a children's piece of literature. No. And I also think that's why, one of the reasons why manga is taking over because they're focused on the story more and they don't, really don't really focus on relationships. I can't think of a, a comic where that that's important. Obviously, there's characters that will eventually end up together, but that doesn't seem to be like the focus. Like I'm I'm watching Hunter Hunter right now, and it's about two um, best friends going off and becoming essentially superheroes. Is kind of what they are in Hunter Hunter. They have like superpowers and things like that. It's, so but it's, it's interesting. Not... It's interesting you bring up manga because I think what's what manga does well that American comics have never gotten quite right is manga has very specific and clear categorization, right? Like mm -hmm. you're specifically Hunter Hunter is a shonen manga. Um, and, and like my favorite shonen manga as Mike is very well aware because I've tried to get him to read and or watch this for about a thousand years is one piece. Yeah. Just so um, everyone knows shonen is, is uh, a giant, um, book that has a bunch of different mangas in it and shonen is like aimed for like young boys yeah shonen, that's, what, that's yeah. what shonen means yeah shonen exactly so shonen is like adventure stories for typically tween to young teen boys or um adults like us that that 
just glom onto it. <laughs> um, then there's like shoujo, which is for girls. And but and there are there are manga and anime that are very relationship focused and very sexually relationship focused that for gay men, for uh, lesbian women, um, for for uh, all kinds of different things, and they focus on that. But it doesn't bother you because if that's what you're reading, you know that's what it's like. That's the focus of the comic. Exactly. But a shonen manga, typically, like you said, there might be some characters where like. Yeah, they might end up together at the very end of a thousand chapters of a comic, but that's not re remotely what the story is about. The story is about whatever it is, because that's what shonen is or what shoujo is or what, you know, there, there are a ton of cat. And if if comic books did that in America, I do think that would help because I think that's where the detriment is like you. We try and make. In, in some sense, it's better because Western comics are broader. And so we are you can have more broad, organic storylines. But we also now have the we don't focus on the story. We focus on the representation in the story. And that's not what it needs to be. Right. And again, if they if they want to do that, if they want to, if DC has like, all right, these characters are are going to be gay and, th and this is going to be a story about them. That's fine. There's a difference between like, here's an established character that we just are now making gay just because we need to add more gay people to our roster and we're too lazy to invent a new character. Exactly. And that, and that sums it up right there is that they don't want to invent a new character. That would be too difficult. So they want to take a character that people have loved for. And by the way, I did confirm Tim Drake's first appearance, 1989, first Robin's 1990. So he's been around for 31 years. So you have a character that is as old almost as I am, or actually is as old as you, right? You're 31. Yes. So yeah, I'm 32. 30 that's right. That's right. Yeah. So 32 years old. The comic, the comics been like 1989 when he first appeared was when you were born. Um, yes. Actually, I think he appeared in July. So right around that time. <laughs> um, but just so everyone knows, I'm now coming out bisexual to match Tim Drake. I think 32 years is enough I'm sure time. Your wife will be pleased to hear that. <laughs> She's okay with it. But. <laughs> You know, that's the thing is you take a character that has a 32 year established fan base. You don't have to do that. There are other characters and or if you're going to do it, do it in a way where it's not some you don't need to make this big pronouncement like, hey, guess what? In the next issue, Tim Drake comes out as bisexual, which is what they did. Instead, you can just write the story and let people read it. And then it happens. And, and if the story is organic, that Tim Drake is doing something and he starts to fall, like, I'm not going to necessarily agree with it or support it, but you know what? At least it's organic from a storytelling perspective. And mm -hmm. I can at least expect, respect you as a writer, but yeah. you literally wrote that just so you could have a headline. Exactly. Like Harley Quinn is a, is a great one because she, she was just all about Joker. Then when she breaks off from that, she, she moves more to um, um, bisexual or, or lesbian. I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember I she, she's awful, awesome, man. But the, but, yeah. and, well, and the thing is, and the reason that Harley Quinn falls in love with Poison Ivy is because Ivy treats her in a way that she's not used to being treated, like with respect and care. And so she starts to realize that that's the relationship she wants. So it becomes organic. And you can exactly. disagree with having gay and lesbian things in stories. And that's a different conversation. And one that I think is is valid. And again, maybe shouldn't be in kids' comics. But if you're going to say it should be in kids' comics, then it needs to at least be good writing. That's all. That's all we ask. I think that's a, that's a fair thing. Just make it good. Yeah, Make it make sense. Don't just do it for the headline. And we'll yeah. leave it with that. So thank you all so much for listening to Writing the Right. 
if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MJ Writing Right, uh, our Facebook page, Writing the Right, or on YouTube, you can subscribe to the Writing the Right channel. Our podcast is also available everywhere podcasts are, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, pretty much anything. Um, and if you have any comments, questions, thoughts, topics you'd like us to discuss, please write us at mikeandjeff at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, M-Y-K-E-A-N-D-J-E-F-F at gmail.com. We'll be back, same bat time, same bat channel next week. Thanks, everyone.